Hey, everybody. This episode is brought to you by our proud title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena, the next generation of off-ice hockey training for players and goalies. Look, we know how much you invest in your children's hockey development, the early mornings, the travel, and let's not forget the expenses of training for hockey camps, private ice time, the general expenses of the season. It's a lot. But wouldn't it be great to bring that on-ice practice experience home that's fun, fits into your schedule, and that's affordable? If you said yes, which I'm sure you did, you've got to check out NHL Sense Arena. It's a top-tier virtual reality training game that brings the on-ice practice experience home so you can practice anytime and anywhere, literally. You can transform any part of your home into a virtual ice rink where you're getting unlimited access to over 100 drills, training plans from top coaches and players, weekly drill challenges, and more that focus on improving hockey sense and physical cognitive skills, starting at just $33 per month. That is a lot cheaper than an hour of ice time. The physical side of hockey gets a lot of attention, but we don't focus enough on the mental side of it. It's something we talk about on this show all the time. NHL Sense Arena provides an immersive solution for players to sharpen those skills when ice time is limited or not affordable and they want to get those extra reps in. So for our listeners, NHL Sense Arena is offering an exclusive $50 off their annual plan all you got to do is head over to their website, hockey.sensorina.com. Again, hockey.sensorina.com and use our code hockey never stops and you'll level up your off-ice training by using NHL Sensorina. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting us and NHL Sensorina. Enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. everybody get ready for a really amazing interview that we had with the director of sled national team for usa hockey dan brennan today on our kids play hockey but of course before every episode we want to let you know that we're being powered by hockey wraparound head over to hockeywraparound.com for 20 percent off your purchase using the code okph check out our new product the dry stick uh, we are completely disrupting how equipment is dried that's all I'm going to say. Head over to HockeyWrapAround.com to check that out. The code is obviously also working on all of the Hockey Wraparound products that we have. So with that said, enjoy this interview with Dan Brennan. It is a really impactful one. I really enjoyed it. So did Christy and Mike. It's starting now on Our Kids Play Hockey. Hello, hockey friends and families around the world, and welcome to another edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. I'm joined, as always, by Mike Benelli and Christy Casciano-Burns, and we are privileged today to have Dan Brennan, the director of SLED National Teams for USA Hockey, with us today. In his current role, Dan has helped the United States claim an unprecedented three straight Paralympic gold medals in 2010, 2014, and 2018, three world championships in 2009, 2012, and 2015, six World SLED Hockey Challenge titles, 2009, 2012, 2015, 2016 in January, and 2016 in December, and 2017. He also has seen the United States win a number of other international events, including the 2013 USA Hockey Sled Cup, the 2016 IPC Pan Pacific Championship, and the 2018 Turin Para Ice Hockey International Tournament. In addition to his role with the sled hockey team, Dan has also been involved with USA Hockey's national inline team for the past 16 seasons, including the last 11 as its general manager. If that part of his resume wasn't enough, he also played four years at Colorado College from 1982 to 1986. Sorry to date you there, Dan, where he served as the team captain his final two seasons, which he followed up with a three-year professional career in Sweden. He is clearly a hockey lifer, and we are privileged to have him on the show here today with us. Dan, welcome to Our Kids Play Hockey. 
Thanks. Uh, I appreciate the intro very much. Well, it's not my, hey, it's your intro. I, that's the most numbers I've <laughs> ever had to read on an intro. I'm going to say that I feel like I did a pretty good job with it, but no, we, look, we wanted to put them in there just to give the audience an idea of not just how long you've been involved in the game, but your success with the program. So um, as we said in the open, you're a hockey lifer. The first question I have is when did you realize that this would be something you wanted to dedicate your life to professionally? Well, I think, I think I'm a product of the real world, meaning when I stopped playing hockey, um, I got a job in the real world and I did it for, oh shoot, three years. And I think at the tail end of that third year is when I really started to miss the game again. And that was back in 95. And uh, I was very fortunate to have one of my former coaches uh, recommend me at USA Hockey. So I interviewed and, and things went great. I had just got my US citizenship, um, which was really important to me. And uh, I, got, I got hired and that was uh, 25 years ago. Wow, you said you got your US citizenship, you're native of? Yeah, I grew up in Vancouver. Um, I left there basically when I was 18. And um, yeah, it's, I've been, it's been an amazing run and, and starting at Colorado College all the way through what I get to do at USA Hockey, I've, it was really important to me to be a US citizen and to kind of respect and be thankful for all things that have been bestowed upon me as an individual. So. No, that's awesome. I would say now we, we got to put you on the same level as Brett Hall. So for all those <laughs> hockey fans in the 1990s, but no, that's awesome. So you obviously came here to play college hockey and, and I know what you're talking about. You know, um, I know there are people in our audience because I've been asked by them, look, how do I, how do I get a job in the game? Right. How do I stay involved in the game? And the truth is this, I, you know, I knew really early on, there was not going to be an illusion in my mind that I was not going to be involved in the game in some facet for the rest of my life. And, um, I do understand sometimes when people stop playing, they want to break, totally get that. Uh, but all roads lead back to the, the game in some form or fashion. Um, and I think it's awesome that you've completely embraced that. Um, and that you've legit, literally made a, not just a career, but a championship career in the game. Um, and that's going to lead us into it. You know, what attracted you to the sled program? Tell us about the sled program. Um, yeah. you know, obviously for the audience that might, you know, I'm, everybody probably knows what sled hockey is, but tell us a little bit about it and how you get involved. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been an amazing run. And, um, you know, for me, it starts with it, with the great players we have, and then also the great staff we have, which, uh, you know, for me, my philosophy with the team, I've been with the team now 16 years is always hire great people and let them do their jobs. And I, and I've really sworn to be, it's hard sometimes, you know, because when you're overseeing something, you want to make sure everything's going well, but you know, we have an unbelievable staff or medical people, um, we don't have any altercations when they say, Hey, this is the way it should be. Then, then we go with it because we have so many different disabilities on our team. We have, you know, on our national team, we have eight warrior players, um, who lost, you know, legs in, um, Afghanistan, Iraq. We have cancer survivors. We have players who were born without legs. We have players who are born with spina bifida. So they all kind of come together in this melting pot and get along famously, which is really amazing. But how I got involved was in, in 06, right after Torino, um, the United States Olympic Committee, which is now the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, uh, wanted to release that, that sport. They, they were overseeing the sport at the time to USA Hockey. They felt that, you know, it was up our alley to run it. And then uh, 
my late great friend, Jimmy Johansson, came into my office one day and said, would you be interested in doing this? And I said, doing what? And he said, well, the sled team. And I, I said, well, yeah, I'm interested, but what do I have to do? Like I have, I had no background in just people with disabilities or, or any of those things. And he said, just be you, you'll be fine. And that was all the advice I got. So I, I just ran with it. You know, I wish I could tell you I had, I had some sled mentor, but I've had plenty of mentors in, in ice hockey and I just draw on those people. But so it's been an amazing run for me since 06. And uh, um, that's kind of how it, it came along. And our team has gone from being, um, you know, very young and, uh, and um, inexperienced to now being a real dominant force in the sport. And for people who don't know what it is, it's, I always kind of get a kick out of describing it. It's, you know, picture yourself in a sled with two hockey sticks in your hand with vicious sharp picks at the end of each butt end. And uh, you're trying to carry a puck, skate at the same time while someone else is trying to, you know, lay you up. So, and the one thing that sled hockey players deal with that, that able-bodied players don't, uh, a couple of things. One, they don't skate backwards. Uh, we've, we have some players that can, but it's just not recommended in the sport. It's too difficult. But, um, you know, when they go into a physical situation, like especially when we play Canada, it's almost, it's violence at some point. But when they go into the boards, there's no give because they're not, you know, they're not stand-up players. So they don't go into the glass part that has a give to it. They're right where the stanchions are. So when they have their collisions, it's, it's loud and, and it, you know, painful. So they're, they're an amazing group of people on all countries, not just ours. I mean, for, the, for what they do and for the love they have for the game, it's, it's an incredible thing to be a part of. And Dana, I had the opportunity to actually um, cover one of our sled hockey competitions, the Skinny Atlas Ice Arena hosted one. And um, I have to tell you, there was nothing disabled about it. My yeah. goodness, the speed, the agility, um, just the athleticism, the, the incredible sharp turns. I was mesmerized. It's amazing. Just yeah. absolutely amazing. They, they are so strong athletically. Um, there's got to be a lot of training that goes into this, I would think. There, there's a massive amount of training. And, and I'm, I'm glad you said that, Christy, because they're, they are so dedicated now. I've tried, I've tried being in a sled four times, but I kind of refuse to do it with our team now because for them, it's like get even day. You know, it's like, um, <laughs> so I, I barely, I'm barely out there five seconds and two guys are knocking me around and I just, I'm just like so dejected because they're so talented. I can't even compare. Like I try and tell people if they're going to try it to take the blades on the bottom of the bucket and spread them out a good six inches. Because when you first tried it, and if you sit in one of our national team player sleds, it's like being in the Atlantic Ocean with one oar in the water. It's amazing. Like when you watch them play, you think they only have one blade, but there's actually two. They're just so close together. And that's what helps them turn and move so fast. So you're right. Wow. There's absolutely nothing disabled about them. In fact, there's guys on our team that shoot the puck harder than, than a lot of guys I played with growing up, without question. You know, one of the things that I love about this, first off, I love that description of being in the Atlantic Ocean with one oar. That's actually a really great way of looking at it. Uh, one of the things that we strive for, and, and, and I think this is true for the game, um, and it's one of the missions of, you know, not just USA Hockey, but hopefully the NHL, is that, like, hockey is hockey. Women's hockey, they're hockey players. Disabled hockey, they're hockey players. Youth hockey, they're hockey players. We're all hockey players, right? 
And, um, you know, look, God knows that the hockey community is very close knit, but it's also not big enough that we need any infighting. Right. So um, speaking of the parents out there and the coaches, um, I always wanted to say this, Dan, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it, too, because you kind of alluded to it. If you ever have the chance to get your team to play with a sled hockey team, to get your team in the sled, um, not only will they learn a lot about overcoming adversity and here's some amazing stories of perseverance to continue to play the game. But Dan, as you said, you're also going to get a pretty amazing workout in and realize that nobody's skill set is complete, right? So I think that there's not enough cooperation from able, play, uh, able players to disabled players in terms of working together because there's a tremendous amount we can learn from each other. You agree with that? Yeah, I do 100%. Um, sometimes there's some insurance issues that kind of get in the way with having sled guys bombing around and able stand-up players because of the, you know, the accidental contact and those things. But we've done a couple of things that were amazing. We, we first did it with my old school. We were training in Colorado Springs and I asked the coach there, you know, if we could, you know, come on, they wanted to, they wanted to get in sleds and uh, you want to talk about that. They spent a good 20 minutes playing with each other. And then when they were done, they spent another hour talking to each other. Right. And that's what I was really thrilled about because you know, they found common ground. They're, they're basically the same age. Our guys are a little bit older than a college team, but, you know, and then we, we trained in Allentown, Pennsylvania a couple of years ago and uh, really, really great American hockey league team, really good players on there. And they came up to us and asked if we could come out on the ice and, and do a, you know, a promotional thing. And uh, we said, absolutely. And what we did was we set up drills where they would do it first and then we'd go. And in between those two, we would watch what they were doing and they would watch us. And then at the very end, uh, they want to set up like kind of a, you know, a half circle and shoot pucks on our goalies. And these are, you know, obviously future flyers and those kind of things with, with real heavy shots. And our goalie, Steve Cash, who who's, he's played on our team now for gosh, I think 17 years and he's only 32. He's just a, he's an amazing young man. So he's in the net. And these guys, you know, they're like, well, I don't, I'm not going to shoot hard on them. They just start flicking pucks at him. So this one guy flipped his puck at him, this American League guy, and Stevie came out of his net and with one hand batted the puck over the glass and said, if you guys aren't going to shoot on me properly, I'm getting off the ice. And the guy goes, what do you say? I said, yeah, you're, you're kind of embarrassing him. Shoot the puck. He goes, really? I go, yeah, shoot as hard as you can. <laughs> All of a sudden, this guy goes, all right. And uh, his first two shots, Steve just caught him and threw him back at him. He's like, oh, my, you know, he was in shock. But then they had a blast because there was common ground there. They, it wasn't out of the norm, you know. So then they, start, then they did that for another 15 minutes. And um, I was just blown away. I mean, you're right. If, if we can – every person involved in our great sport wants to be a hockey player, whether it's from our women's team, our sled team, our able body guys, our youth guys, our – our uh, special hockey or, or warrior hockey, whatever it is at the end of the day. And I've always sworn by this. If we just treat them like hockey players, the rest takes care of itself because it's such a great game. Right. And, and I think that, go ahead, Mike. no, I was just going to say just in, in that, you know, in my, in my experience with sled hockey, you know, it was either through Chuck up in New York or Ron down with Florida sled hockey and, and you obviously through, you know, our relationship with the coaching education program. And one of the things that really I think stood out to me, was, you know, when you ask everybody, you know, well, how do you coach these guys? Like, what do you do? Like, like, how do you approach them even conversationally? And both, like everybody that's in the sports is, well, you don't do anything differently. You treat them like athletes. 
and they're going to, and they're going to play like athletes because they, they want that, that, that competitive spirit is in those players. So, I mean, with the national team players that you're getting, I mean, how competitive does it get to make that team, uh, you know, from around the U S like to put the, like you, you, you know, we were saying, you know, kind of off camera a little bit, you know, just how competitive it is because of the numbers that are available to you, but, you know, really maybe just tell us, you know, how that process happens that you get to that team and how competitive it really is that you truly have to be an athlete. You just don't, you know, you're not just disabled. You actually have yeah. to be able to be, you know, a player. Yeah. And we, we've had, we've had a lot of amazing, you know, volunteers and, and uh, grassroots people. I mean, I, I will never take credit for this team prior to our staff and our volunteers out there. Everything I do is, is logistic. I help. I'm one of the coaches. Um, but you know, to make our team is, is unbelievable. And, uh, you know, for example, we had our tryout uh, in Voorhees a few months back, and uh, we had 68 players there. And from that 68, we're going to pick a national team of 17 and then a development team of another 17. And, um, you know, the, there's three players on our, on our development team that if we called up in a day, they wouldn't, they wouldn't miss a thing. Our team would continue to go forward. It's not... Um, it's, it's very difficult to make our team, but it's even harder to stay on it. And um, our guys know that. And, and we went from a team, I think that, and I think the sport in general, guys, guys played it in the beginning as more of a recreational thing. You know, they still want to have their fun away from the rink and all those things. And that's changed immensely. You know, our team is, you know, the, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the, the new phone apps or everything, but I mean, they're coming up to me saying, you know, my, my body fats this and that. And I go, well, you won't be, you won't be able to find mine on your chart. Leave me alone kind of a thing. But it's, it's a, it's an amazing um, transformation. So to answer your question, Mike, which I didn't do so far, but I'll try is it's very difficult to make our team. Uh, it's, it used to be like, for example, in 06, we, we were allowed 17 players. We had 19 players try out and two of them were women. And I found out the night before the trial was starting that women weren't allowed on, on the men's team. So I had to tell, it was a, it was a good news, bad news. I was I had to tell our, the two ladies that were trying out who are great players, they're still playing, that they couldn't be on the team. But I also told the other 17 that no one's being cut today. So it was very, it was, it's transferred from that to now women are allowed to, to be on our team if they're, if they're good enough to take a spot. Um, they have their own category as well. But, you know, of the 17 that we picked this time, I would say we could have easily picked 21 and, and you wouldn't have noticed it unless you were working with them on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, I think it's also important to note, and, and this is a misconception I see actually across sport. It's not just in hockey. When you get to the national level or the Olympic level in any sport, they're athletes and they're really good at what they do. I always love watching the, the like the Olympics and someone's watching water polo. I could do that. Like, no, you couldn't. <laughs> no, you couldn't do that. All right. You think you could do it because you've never seen it, but you can't do that. And look, sled hockey players are, are, are no different. They are peak level athletes, as you said, Dan. And look, many of them, as you said, are, are veterans or um, they come from different backgrounds. Tell us a little bit. Again, you alluded to it earlier. Um, and you can be specific about some of the players if you want. Um, tell us about your player population. Again, you, you know, it's a range from veterans, from accident victims, uh, from people born um, with disabilities. Tell us about the, that, that diversity, because I think that's kind of amazing, too, when you get that type of um, different population together to form a hockey team. 
Yeah, it's a great question, Lee, because you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, when, when we first started having military guys join our team, they were kind of put on a pedestal because, you know, a lot of our players dealt with their disability from the time they were born. So it's, it's a little bit different versus a guy who, you know, goes overseas and unfortunately, you know, lands on an IED or whatever it is, and all of a sudden he's, he's lost a leg. Um, he, he knew exactly what it was like growing up being an able-bodied person. Right. So there's that dynamic. And um, w- what's amazing with our team is, is they, they, they say it best, and, and our military's got, military guys say it to our players all the time, our other players. You know, all we've done is taken the American flag from our shoulder and put it on our chest. And, it, it, and they're thrilled by that. And I love, I love hearing that because it's like, right. okay, these guys also just want to be hockey players. But the key is fitting in with each other. And the character on our team that a lot of our military guys have brought, along with the character of our team from just, you know, the, the players that had different disabilities, is all the same now. There is no hierarchy. And that's what makes it special. Like, for example, when we go in and fix up the locker room before a camp or a competition, there was times back in the day where I had to physically move people's names around because I was worried about what our locker room would look like. And when our coaches leave the room, what's going to transpire in that room to maybe hurt our chances to compete well? Um, because, you know, there were certain guys that didn't always get along. There were certain guys that, you know, were interested in, in giving people a hard time before a game instead of pumping them up before a game. But now I could, I could go in there with the 17 names and close my eyes and just throw them. And wherever they land, we could go with that and have absolutely no problem with the character in our room. And that in itself uh, has made a tremendous difference. I mean, it's, it's night and day now. I would right. say our the team we have now would beat our team that won in Pyeongchang in 18 by five goals. Wow. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Dan, I was just curious, where are you fielding most of your talent? Are there specific areas of the country? And what's the average age of the athletes on your team? That's a great question, Christy. You know, and once again, it goes back to our great grassroots people. Our disabled um, section uh, has, you know, there's two gentlemen, J.J. O'Connor and Jim Smith, who, who have put together kind of the grassroots blueprint, which has been amazing. So in other words, the thing that uh, you want your youth players to get to is our is our national camp. And, you know, we've had players, usually they start out about 15 through 20 by going to this camp. And what happens is, is you know, you mentioned Colin Gooley and Chuck Gridley were, you know, great people, obviously. It would be a Chuck Gridley who sees a Colin Gooley as a young man or someone sees another player as a young lady, a young woman, and recommends them to this camp. And then when they get to that camp, that camp is run by our national team staff, um, our, our, sorry, our national team coaches. And now all of a sudden, you know, these people are, are going, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, my skills are being put in front of the, the top coaches. You know, this is pretty cool. And then from there, they get assigned. So, you know, if it's a 15 or 16-year-old girl and she's doing really well, chances are she'll be put on our women's team within a year or two. And that's kind of how the player pool is created. It starts at, at the grassroots level with recommendations for these kids to go to a national camp. Then when they get there, uh, I think the whole world opens up for them. And, it, and we've had challenges, you know, like it, it's difficult sometimes for parents who have, who have raised their, their son or daughter with a, with a pretty solid disability. And, you know, it's hard for them to let go. And, and we understand that. 
but it's just, you know, just for a weekend and the parents are allowed to come and all that stuff. But to see them go from that to potential national team players is, is really, really neat. And our last camp we had was also in Voorhees before the tryout. And I watched four or five kids that are 14 and 15 that, you know, in three or four years are probably going to be on our team. And that's really exciting to see that. So there's a whole process, but I would, I certainly can't take credit for it. It's the, it's those amazing people, those amazing volunteers out in the grass, sorry, out in the field and uh, who handle it at the grassroots level, who, who are the real heroes. Yeah. Uh, Dan, could you do me a favor too? In, in, we're talking about the top level here, which is amazing, but could you give us a little bit of the lay of the land of maybe sled hockey across the country? And, uh, you know, obviously if people are looking for programs where they should start, how many programs are there? Uh, the levels uh, just give us a, an overview of that as well because uh, to get to the top you got to start somewhere obviously so yeah yeah we have we have probably across the country between 1200 and 1500 sled players wow that's male male and female and um you know one of the things that you know people always ask me like how how do we get a program started and usa hockey prior to covid we had this sled landing program where we would ship 10 sleds to different places around the country. They got to use them for a couple of weeks and then ship them back. And that created an, an interest. And, you know, some of the stories we have, like there's some places that have, you know, five players with disabilities and they want to play, but they need another, you know, seven or eight to play with. Otherwise it's a, it's a tough game, right? It's a long way to skate up and down and then no, no line changes. So one of the things we've recommended and it's really worked that, that the non-national team level able-bodied people can play slide hockey and uh, they have like a quote they have like depends which league they're in but usually they say they can have up to three able-bodied players and what that's done is actually a really cool story and I've seen it across the country is you know a father who's got a son with disabilities or a daughter with disabilities um, is probably you know when well geez how can I connect with my own child and I've seen it countless times where they jump in a sled and play on the same team with their kid and uh the turnaround is amazing. Like uh, it's one of my favorite things when I see at the youth level is, is some of those people jumping in. So, so there, there are areas where they have enough players that, that have disabilities where they can play sled hockey and it's not a big deal. But in those other ones, when they're trying to grow the game, it's okay to have their, their buddies and their able-bodied, you know, uh, parents jump in as well. And that's another part of it. Like, you know, a kid's 17, 18 years old and he's got a friend, his friend's thinking, well, I'll just go and watch him play it's a lot cooler to say, I'm going to go play with him. And that's been kind of a real growth spurred across the country as well. That's phenomenal. And I love hearing stuff like that because that's really what the game is all about. When you bring it down to the, to the lowest levels is playing with your friends and playing with your family. And um, I do want to tap on what you said too, Dan, that uh, able-bodied people can play this game. Um, in fact, I, when I was living in the United Kingdom, I was uh, really more or less watching their program, their sled program develop. And that's exactly what they did. They invited uh, professional players from the country to come in and be on the sleds. They invited anybody just to get it going. Uh, and that is how they did it. Right. And I think that brings us back to the point we were saying earlier. You know, I wanted, I wanted them to say this, you know, when we look at heroes, right. Um, it's a funny word in this country because, you know, when you're younger, it's uh, Superman, Batman, Captain America, you know, all those heroes. And then when you get a little older, right. And when you get older, it might be, you know, an NHL athlete, an NBA athlete. And heroes for me have always been people that have went through incredible strife and, and persevered, right? So uh, veterans, people who serve in the military, 
um, you know, sled hockey players fall into that group as well. And, and I want to make this clear distinction. And, and this is something I think a lot of people miss. It's not because I feel sorry for them. That's exactly the opposite of it. That's I'm inspired by them and what they've done, right? Trust me, no sled hockey player wants you to feel sorry for them. No veteran wants you to feel sorry for them, right? That's, that's not where they come from. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not making a joke here. I'm, they may be uh, shorter than me when it comes to being on skates, but I look up to them, right? They're an anchor for me. And I think that that's something in the game. Our game is heavily siloed within itself, much less with other sports, right? So when I see sled hockey as a coach, not only do I see it as an incredible sport with incredible athletes, I see it as this massive opportunity for everyone to learn something from each other, right? I, and again, I just want you to, to, to dive into this again. You said that when the able-bodied players and the disabled players were in a room, they spent more time talking and learning from each other than they did even playing. That's the stuff we need to do more. Because at the end of the day, whether you make a national team or not, it's the life lessons that you draw out of the game that really make you who you are, right? You think about your career and what you've done, right? It's, it's the game gave you the foundation for that. I'm, I'm, hopefully parenting and other things too, right? It's not limited just hockey. <laughs> all right, but my point is, is that there's so much we can learn from each other that we leave on the table because we're so siloed, right? We're so focused on our team and our career, quote unquote, um, and as a parent, making sure our kids getting the best opportunities when there's so many life lessons out there. So I just wanted to come back to that for a quick second. And, you know, I don't know if you remember any of those conversations uh, between able-bodied players and disabled players, but like, like maybe walk us into that situation real quick and talk about what they spoke about. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the greatest things is, is, you know, you ask anyone who plays hockey, they, we don't need categories. You're hockey players. Right. The first thing they'll say is, what do you love most about the game? And our guys will say, it's, it, it's a freedom like I've never experienced before when I'm out on the ice. And that, that's an awesome, powerful thing to hear. And um, like for me, I, I thought joining this team would make me a better person. But their humor is so unbelievably deranged that I don't know if I've succeeded in that <laughs> at all. But I'll give you an example. Like when I first started working with them, we kind of... We stopped, carry, we stopped having people carry their bags and those kind of things. And um, it made a tremendous difference. And now they're very protective of that. So, you know, we've, we've had a lot of guys help out from our other programs. And the first thing they say is, I love working with your team. I, I almost feel embarrassed. It's easier than working with an able-bodied team because they don't let you help you. They don't, they don't want my help. The only thing they want me to do is, sharpen their skates and, and make sure the tapes on the table and get out of the way. So it's kind of cool to hear that. Um, for me personally, I remember the first time I started traveling with the team and I used to be one of those guys, I can honestly admit it, that, you know, you're standing in a security line and you're like, come on, they're wanting some, you know, poor 75 year old lady and it's taken forever. And, you know, I just want to get through it. And I'm sitting there bitching to myself. And, <laughs> and I started working with these guys and they, they blast through security and they're, you name it, like metal detectors are going off like it's the 4th of July. And not one of them ever complained about it in, in any situation. It was just whatever, do what you got to do. They throw their, their legs back on and they're on their way. And that, that to me was, gee, Dan, if you need a lesson in life, I think that's right in front of your face. And, and that really changed the way I, I kind of look at things. And it's, it's so subtle things, you know, it's not, it's not always what you see, it's what you don't see that impresses me the most about them. Like you think about it, like we get up every morning, we get out of bed, we walk to your kitchen, you make coffee, they get out, 
When they get out of bed, their workout begins. They got to put on legs. They got to be careful going up and down stairs because it's, it can be very difficult. Just their day-to-day -day activity impresses the heck out of me, even before they put on hockey equipment and then amaze me and our staff out on the ice. Like they're, they're special people. There's no doubt. That's yeah, I found, I, found, I, I found that too, just working, uh, you know, with the Florida guys that one week, you know, I felt more uncomfortable. Like I'm like, you know, and they're joking around with you. Like they, they, you know, especially the, the more elite guys and girls, like they know like how uncomfortable you are. So they'll, oh, yeah. you know, like, Hey, can you hold my leg for, and I'm like, listen, I can't even deal with this right now. You, yeah, know, yeah. you know, you know, so it's, you know, you're making me, but there were, but I couldn't believe the competitiveness. And I think also the, the ability for them, the, the, the athletes that I worked with to have, the patients to actually explain how they do what they do because they must get that question every day like yeah i just do it because i'm I, I i do this i do that I, you know yeah. like you're saying they're watching their nutrition they're 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 fiddling with their sticks and, and and arranging their gloves and and you know uh dan mentioned it earlier about the guys with the spikes on the sticks and how they maneuver and they're just as you know uh you know ocd about where those spikes are located like like a hot like like an able body hockey player would be yeah just it's, like it's, you whatever pattern stick you want they're just as anal about it there's no question right and, uh, like they'll come up to me in a practice and they'll go Dan you know I, I thought you played at a decent level in hockey and I'll be like yeah I think I did why <laughs> what's, what's the problem he goes well you you haven't made a decent pass all day like seriously can you not see our we have two sticks on the ice choose one <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of heat i get on a regular basis yeah this is yeah. awesome you know they're just but you know what to their credit they're a little bit serious too like we do a lot of small area games we do a lot of you know puck movement drills they don't skate backwards so, so the sled hockey game is a lot about angling probably 75 percent of the game is, is angling and um you know and, and support it's real important that you support the puck carry you can't be you know, 50 feet away from the puck carrier in, in this sport. They, you really, to be successful at it, you have to be playing in, in a tighter, closer area with each other. And so when we get into these competitions in practice, you know, me and the other assistant coach, Corey, if we don't, if we don't make good passes, they're, they're, they're all over us. Yeah. Like they're screaming at us. And I'm like, <laughs> simmer down, you know. <laughs> but, but then I have, I have so much respect for that. You know, they don't, they don't want to be a feel-good story. They, they want to be good. Right. And that's it. Dan, it sounds to me as if coaching these athletes has brought you tremendous joy in ways that you probably never even imagined. Yeah, it has. And, and it's like I said, it's the, it's the things that that you don't see that impress me more than the things you do. And, um, you know, like a lot of our players give back to their communities. And uh, I've made, I've made my mistakes too. You know, like I think a lot of coaches have to learn from their mistakes. When I first started coaching, I, I thought I had all the answers, you know, because I, I just kind of copied what my old coaches did and, you know, Hey, I played hockey. So I got all the answers. And I found out the more I kept involved, staying involved in the game, the less I knew. And I think I'm a way better coach now than I was 25 years ago. It's not even close because I, I see the big picture and these guys have, have really brought that to light. And, um, you know, it, it's absolutely hilarious. Like our, our players, we, we, they agree on a, um, they get uh, a little bit of funding for training, but mm -hmm. 
But along with that comes an, a player agreement. And so we had a meeting with our players and, and this is where I, this is probably the, one of the greatest mistakes I think I've made in sport. Um, so I, you know, they're reading it over and they're like, come on, Dan, like, this is like, like we're disabled. Like a lot of us don't have legs. Why is there so many rules? What's the big deal? Like if I want to, you know, if I want to ski or I want to go bowling or I want to do this or whatever, like, why do you have so many stipulations in this contract? And first of all, that's what lawyers do. I didn't write the thing, but I said, yeah, you guys are right. It's not like you're going to lose a leg water skiing or something like that. And then one of our players, Brody Roybal looks at me and goes, Dan, that's exactly how Jack lost his leg. And it's no. true. It was how he lost his leg. So I think that, <laughs> I think that if, if you as a coach make a worse mistake than that, it's still going to be okay. And I think that's as, as big as you're going to make uh, as far as talking to your players, but uh, they got a real kick out of that, which, which was fantastic because it could have gone the other way. Right. But they're, they're the expectation for them and, and what it's done for me from, you know, a real joy of the game is, is, is a unique, thankful relationship for sure. Well, I appreciate you telling us that story and making yourself vulnerable for a moment. You know, Dan, I'm, I often say on this show, the, this little quote of uh, good coaches know everything and great coaches know nothing. That's kind yeah. of how I've always approached coaching. And I'd made the same mistake. I was a 22 year old kid. I knew it all. And the older I get, the more I'm like, man, I didn't know anything back then. It's just a punk kid coaching. Um, so listen, in, in the intro, I think I, I mentioned like 15 years and dates of championships and medals and uh, things that you have accomplished. So um, look, as a journalist, I was taught never to ask, how did it feel when you won? Because it's probably quite undescribable. But I would love to, to hear just some stories or uh, the experience of being at that level, winning, what it was like for you, what it was like for the players. And my, my gut's telling me that um, while special, it's probably, uh, in terms of elation, no different than winning the Stanley Cup. Um, I, you know, I always say that to people that when you win something at a high level, it's an amazing feeling. That feeling is pretty similar no matter when you win and no matter what you're doing. But we'd love to hear, again, you have 15 years to choose from. Whichever one you want, you can do all 15 if you want to be here for another couple hours, but it's up to you. <laughs> no, that's a real credit to the players. I, uh, it's funny you say that because, you know, I told our guys like – and we just won again in the Czech Republic in, uh, in June. And uh, it doesn't get old. You know, if, if, if something like that gets old, then you're, you lack respect for your opponents. And, you know, especially when we play Canada and Russia, we can lose just as easily as we win. And we've been very fortunate. You know, like in Pyeongchang in 2018, I'll use this one as an example. Um, you know, we were down one nothing to Canada with 47 seconds left in the game. And uh, one of their players, and we, you know, our net was empty. One of their players picked up the puck. He just got inside our blue line and they got close to the top of the circles and he had a clear shot at our net. And this is, a, this is the fine line that, that we walk and he shoots it and it hits the post. So I went from, you know, oh my God, this is, this is, this is going to be a real tough loss for our team. To all of a sudden our guys gather the puck and with 15 seconds left in the period, uh, Declan Farmer scores to go into overtime. And then find another funny story, like with, especially with Declan and Brody, I don't know how they do it, but they're, they're in such great shape. They stay out on the ice probably longer than they should. So we, as coaches, there were, 
uh, in the overtime, Declan hung on to the puck and he just, you know, the Canadian players were having a hard time getting to him and he hung on to it, hung on to it. And we're like yelling, get a change, get a change. And just when we said that, he came off the half wall and roofed the puck just under the crossbar and we win. And I'm like, stay out, stay out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was uh, that, that to me, you know, out of all of them, that one was the biggest thrill because of how we won it. It wasn't, you know, if you're going into a third period and you're up four one and you win five, two or something, the writing's kind of on the wall. It's just a little different, but that, that was euphoric because we thought for sure that we were going to lose that game to nothing. And, and in the span of 40 seconds, we were gold medalists. And it's more to like, for me personally, when we, as a staff, we say it to our players all the time. This is your team. What do you want it to look like? What do you guys want this to be? And um, when you get that kind of buy-in and then you see their faces after they win like that, you know, it, that to me, was such a thrill. And, and for them, like, you know, I, I always say we, you know, we had our kick at the can. We, we got to play. This is your time, your moment, you know, seize it. And that, that's probably the biggest thrill that I've had with the team was how we won that. And there, there's tons of other ones I can talk about. We've had so many great players come through our program. I don't want to disrespect any of them and, and their wins. You know, Vancouver in 2010, we weren't supposed to win. We were ranked third in the world. So that was really cool to win a gold medal when we weren't supposed to. Um, and then Russia was, was such a unique experience, you know, just, it was, we were in lockdown the whole time and, uh, our guys just found a way to, to have fun. And, um, so I could, I could go on and on, but I would say those ones are, are kind of the highlights for me. Is, is, do, you, do you think Dan internationally that, you know, obviously like kind of like the women's sport, right. That Canada in the U.S. drive that and you know do you find that internationally those those international bodies are finding ways to build the sled hockey sport to create more competition uh, well, that, that's our, our biggest guys yeah it's a great question Mike that's our that's our biggest challenge and, and you know we have it on the women's side as well unfortunately uh, there's not a lot of teams other than, than Canada and the U.S. playing on the women's side of slide hockey, which is really unfortunate because it's awesome to watch. Um, when, when I first started, you know, we were ranked third. We were, it was always Canada or Norway and then us and Japan. And that all changed in 2009. But we used to get thumped. I mean, I remember, you know, playing Canada in, in, in these three-game series and, you know, being 0-9 in the season. And uh, so we, we took our lumps in the, in the beginning of all this. But, you know, unfortunately, Russia went through the whole um, steroid issue and, you know, per performance enhancing drugs and all that. But they're finally back. Uh, they have a really good team. So now we're, we're kind of a three-headed monster instead of just two. Some of the other programs um, have gotten older, and that's why they're struggling. And the reason we do so well is our grassroots and our youth programs are so strong. Now, there's a couple other countries that are trying to get there. The Czech Republic's trying to, you know, increase growth. Um, I'll share a funny story with you. The gentleman who runs the Japanese team, his name's Kojin, and he asked me a couple of years ago why our captain, Andy Yoey, stopped playing after, after Sochi. And, um, and I said, well, you know, he's, he's got a family now. He's getting older. He wants to get on with his life. And he goes, older? 
how old is he? I go, well, he's, he's 34, 35 years old. He goes, 35? He'd be a rookie on my team. <laughs> so the, yeah. it's funny. It's a funny story, but it's kind of painful too because they're aging out of the game, you know, and that's, that's really tough. So I, we're lucky we have the numbers and we're lucky we have the structure and that's why our team's so good. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you this, Dan, and, 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 you know, it's not luck, right? It's great coaching, great people, great perseverance, and really the human spirit at its peak level. Uh, and, and you said this earlier, it's when you look at the things you don't have, you start to see things differently, right? Um, and I think that's a testament to you and the entire USA Hockey SLED program, what you've built there and developed. Look, I, it, what's funny is the story is not that different than USA Hockey in itself, is it? You know, USA Hockey got thumped a ton until really after 80. And, and then it started to turn. And then in 2010, with the development model, it really started to turn upwards, you know, on a hockey stick chart. But it's because we have great leaders in hockey in this country when it comes to things uh, like the SLED program and the U.S. Development National Program. And I'm, I'm, and people like Mike Benelli. Mike, I know you, you get all bashful here, but Mike is a great leader within the game in New York. You know, um, he's doing his best not to smile right now. For those of you listening, he's literally stone-faced at his – there it is. Okay, he's smiling now. So I was going to keep going. Uh, and then people like Christy as okay. well, you know, who are just incredible parents, incredible community uh, organizers. And um, this game is special across the board across the board and yes like anything you have a holes in the game but the game is special i mean the the, the life lessons the team um work the the uh brotherhood the sisterhood i mean the things you get out of this are incredible um and like you said dan look some of the people on the team are born with disabilities and they grow up in it some of them don't expect to be disabled and they get into it and it becomes part of a family i just stories like this um teams like this are inspiring to me that's why i said people like you the players you're my heroes, right? You're, you, you are the, the bright spot on humanity that we don't talk about enough, <laughs> right? We only talk about the negative, right? So there's good out there. So uh, I'm completely out of questions. So I'm going to throw it back to Mike and Christy and see if you guys have anything in closing. Uh, but Dan, I want to tell you, thank you so much for sharing some of these and thank you for all you've done for the game of hockey, uh, you and your athletes. No, I greatly appreciate your comments, Lee. I just, you know, I, I wish I could take credit to just, you know, like I said, I think when you empower people, when you let them do what they're good at and um, you know, we've, we've done that with this group of players and, and, you know, we, we hope that, you know, and I think every youth hockey parent, every youth hockey coach should feel the same, all your efforts, everything you go into it from driving kids to the rink to, to, you know, sitting in freezing, you know, arenas, watching a game or a practice, uh, from the time they were so small, you know, and getting up at five in the morning or whatever to get them to the ring, um, that the ability to, to let it be theirs, you know, don't look at it like, Hey, I made all this sacrifice. I expect this to happen. Cause that's not how it works. It's, it's the great people like Mike and Christy that are at rinks all the time. And, and, um, you know, that to me is what makes our game so great. A kid who's really good is, is going to find their way. They're going to play somewhere at an elite level. But it's all the kids that play our game and what they get out of it. And for me, like I, I, I would never have learned how to even just cooperate with other people if it wasn't for hockey. Like you don't go to elementary school and you learn, you know, cooperation or, you know, credit card debt or divorce or any of those things, you know, like you go to you go and you get the syllabus of homework and, and you leave. And, and, you know, thankfully things have changed, I think in some good ways, like 
you know, I think kids hopefully nowadays are finding better ways to, to, um, you know, clean up their differences. I remember being, when I was a little kid, like if you got into with someone, you had to fight them in the church parking lot after school. And, you know, you had eight hours to think about it. And you, you know, by the time three o'clock's rolling around, you're like, you're scared. And you're like, Oh my God, like, I'm going to, I'm going to have to do this. So I think what I'm really getting at is it's so important nowadays for people to create the opportunity. And if they're not coaching back off and enjoy it because that's what your kids really want you to do. And, you know, I have a son who plays minor league baseball right now and, and uh, he's a tremendous athlete. And um, I met his, his managers uh, about a month ago and I just went up to him and I said, they said, oh, you're, you're Will's dad. Sit down, you know, and I'm, I didn't really want to do it because I, just growing up, I didn't want to be that, that parent. <laughs> and I just said, you're going to get one word out of me, guys, and that's it. And they're like, really? What's that? And I said, thank you. Really? I said, yeah, I want to thank you for what you're doing for my son. And I think if, if parents and, and people look at the game a little more like that and the effort that people are putting in for their son or daughter, then I think you'll get the big picture. And what it really is, is it's an amazing time in their lives. Let them enjoy it. I'm so glad you said that. And hopefully we've all learned those lessons, especially after this year of COVID when hockey was taken away from a lot of us. Um, I, I cannot wait to jump back into the season. You know, my daughter's first game is in a couple of weeks. I've already made the hotel reservation. <laughs> I cannot wait to get back in that rink. And I missed it so much. Sorry, the dog's barking. We've got a little thunderstorm going here in Central New York. But um, in closing, I do want to say, you know, if you ever need inspiration, look no farther than a sled hockey team because each and every one of those athletes on that team represents stories of perseverance, incredible stories. And I look to Colin Gooley, who's from our area, you know, he was diagnosed with bone cancer at the age of seven. His leg was amputated um, and his parents and he wanted something that he could do. He wanted to stay, you know, uh, competitive and be athletic. Sled hockey, he took it all the way up to nationals. Our entire community rallied around that young man. We're so proud of him and he just inspired all of us. So um, Dan, thank you for leading the charge. Yeah, um, you know, you know, you bring up, a, a, it's so easy to talk about Colin because he's such a fine young man and a great person. And um, yeah, he, he's that story, you know, that kid that, that doesn't look at life like that. Like, I, I would say he's probably the most polite, kind person that we've ever had on our roster. And, and that's, that's an amazing trait, you know, and he, he pays it forward. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be going to Skinny Atlas to help him and Chuck and our head coach, David Hoff, with a sled camp. And I can't wait. There's a couple of kids there that I, I, it's a little payback for me that smoked me in ping pong last year or two years ago <laughs> at the camp. So I'm brushing up on it. Like, I can't wait to see these kids. So I never- I'm gonna you know, stop by and say hello. Yes, that's right in the back of the yeah, bus. That would be great. Uh, so Dan, a couple of things before we close out here, uh, about just a year, just over a year from the Winter Olympics uh, happening. What's next for the USA sled program? What's the next uh, up on the docket? Yeah, we have, uh, we have our first camp in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, early October. And we have a competition in St. Louis against Canada at the end of October. And then we're hoping the borders, you know, stay open 
Uh, there's a great tournament in Nova Scotia that we're playing in. It'll probably be us, Canada, Russia, and the Czech Republic. That's kind of a pre-warmer. And then we'll play, um, we, we will do a, a residency program with our team where we spend probably six weeks together in Nashville. Uh, they've been, re- the, the Predators have been really kind to our team to allow them to skate. And uh, they've treated our guys, you know, in a real fantastic way. So for us to be able to get this team together, like usually we're together, you know, between four and eight days a week, uh, sorry, a month. So when we can get our players together for six straight weeks, the results are amazing. I imagine. So and that, that only happens in a Paralympic year. But, you know, I, I, I heard Beijing's going to be a bubble, which is, which is tough, you know, because our players don't always get to play in front of huge crowds. But at the Paralympics, we've averaged, you know, like, gosh, 12,000 players, sorry, you know, attendees at a game. And it's such a thrill for our players to get to play in front of those kind of crowds. So, um, but they're thrilled to play and they, they can't wait, you know, to have, have things taken away for a year. I've noticed it across the board, even with our, with our coaches, we had a level five in Duluth uh, a few, two weeks ago and everyone was so happy just to see each other and talk hockey, you know, and that's what makes it such an amazing uh, group of people like when you're around hockey people like you're around people with enthusiasm great humor and and everybody missed each other and they don't even know each other it's just that hockey um that bind that we all have in such a great game well everyone on this show is an american so we're pulling for you to get another gold medal for the usa and all the athletes that might be listening to this we love you we thank you thank you for everything you've done for our country both on and off the ice, and we appreciate it. And then, uh, Dan, the last question, obviously, uh, an obvious one is, if there's anybody listening to this that's interested in getting involved with uh, USA Slot Hockey or Slot Hockey in general, what are the resources, what are the websites, where should they go to find out more information? Yeah, uh, they can certainly go to the USA Hockey's website. Um, we have people in our building they can contact who can kind of set them up in, in the district that they live in, because they might be surprised that, that there might be a local program only a mile or two away from them. They just never heard about it or, or they coach or skate in a different rink and they don't know what's going, going on five miles from them. Um, so that, that's, that's probably the best way to do it. Uh, and if I could add, don't be afraid to work with people with disabilities. It, it's, it's um, once you get past the initial awkwardness and everybody goes through it and uh, just remember, they just want to be a hockey player just like you and um, find your common ground. It's, it's a, you know, you guys mentioned what's it like to coach these guys, our national team, you know, I, when I coach a midget hockey team, I, I would say our, our national team does every single drill, a real good midget hockey team could do. And even, even, a, you know, first year junior players would be amazed at what our players can do. So, so I think when you, if you can throw yourself into it a hundred percent, and, and just help out and see, you know, see how things go. And as soon as you get out on the ice, if once you're with them and you're patient about it, uh, that's when the reward starts to kick in, I think. I love it, Dan. Well, I'll tell you what, man, this hour has flown by. You've been a great guest. And uh, I'd love to get some of the athletes on this show in the future as well. And, and hopefully we can work something out to have them on. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll let them take their shots at you. And then we'll have yeah. you back on in a few years where there's a few more years I have to put on your bio and we can go back and forth for years to come and make it fun. I would, I would be happy to get that set up for you guys. If you want to, if you want to hear some stories, hundred um, percent. you know, they're, 
we have <laughs> i can pick four guys that'll entertain your audience into the ground and you'll be like oh my god man. i get what he means now about you know not becoming overly a better person but um yeah i'm happy to help out with that i, I appreciate you guys having me on here and Anytime we can spread the gospel, not just about sled hockey, but about our great game of hockey, uh, I'm all in 100%. And I appreciate, Mike, what you've done. And I know what you've done. And I've done a bunch of clinics with Mike throughout the years. And, and Christy, it's nice to meet you. And thank you and Lee for what you guys are doing for, for the sport. And, you know, to help educate parents and coaches and young kids is, is a special thing you're doing. So keep it up. Yeah, thank you, Dan. This has been wonderful. Um, that is going to do it for this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Our guest, Dan Brennan, you were phenomenal. For Mike Benelli and Christy Casciano-Burns, I'm Lee Elias. You can check out every single episode. We've done over 40 of these now at ourkidsplayhockey.com or just wherever podcasts are heard. You can tell your Alexa, and Alexa will play it, whatever you want to do. Make sure you like, subscribe, and follow, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been Our Kids Play Hockey. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye.